You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. In this world of turmoil, you're struggling to find energetic balance, and you panic because your spirituality is not where you desire it to be. Yet creating a powerful foundation of empowerment is what you know you can achieve. Hi, I am Martin Neil Campbell, author of the book Receiving the Gift We Give, which is available on Amazon eBooks and my website, receivingthegiftwegive.com. I invite you to uncover your power and greatly expand your energies by embracing your divine self. Sovereign Self is about individual empowerment and freedom. In exploring this sovereign self, our discussions will encompass self-love, oneness, and diverse spiritual understandings as life is a journey of expansion which never ends. Join author Martin Neil Campbell, trainer and business facilitator Karen Murphy, and spiritual archaeologist Ron Mayer as their discussions help lead their listeners into an ever-expanding journey of peace, love, joy, and freedom to become who you desire and be your sovereign self. Welcome to Sovereign Self. I am your host, Martin Neil Campbell, and your two divine and absolutely inspirational and fearless co-hosts are Ron Mayer and Karen Murphy. Say hello to everyone, guys. Hello, everybody. Hi, fabulous listeners. Yes, fabulous is a good word for them. Excellent. And continue our expressions of love. We are looking at fearlessness, hence why I called my two co-hosts fearless. When <laughs> I look at the word fearless in the dictionary as a noun, it means lack of fear. Some of the synonyms are bold, courageous, dauntless, brave, gallant, great-hearted, heroic, Lion-hearted, undaunted, and valiant. Interesting. And the antonyms, which are even more interesting, are chicken, coward, craven, fearful, gutless, nerveless, spineless, weak-hearted, and yellow. I'm going, that's even more interesting. Oddly enough, they don't always do this, but some of the dictionaries had related words, which were determined, firm, resolute, unflinching, Daring, venturesome, crazy, foolish, insane, brash, heedless, hot-headed, impulsive, reckless, wild, and unafraid. And I thought, really? That's fearlessness? But I'll get to that. But I do like the base definition that was found in most dictionaries, which was lack of fear. As we've said before, what does fear, one of the things fear stands for is false expectations appearing real. Yet, our current series of programs, we are talking about the uses of words that are behavioral parts of and relate to our expressions of love. And I have always looked upon fear as the opposite of love. So for me, fearlessness in many ways defines behavior we demonstrate when we are coming from love. And like the other expressions of love, fearlessness is not an island. In our accountability, authenticity, courage, and empathy, when we are fully heart-centered and come from love, we begin to show fearlessness. Many of the related words that I read above, like crazy, foolish, insane, impulsive, reckless, may show a, show a form of fearlessness, but they generally do not demonstrate heart-centered love or wisdom. So I do not include those related words in any way with using fearlessness as an expression of love. Fearlessness, I would say, when used as an expression of love, means you have freedom from fear. And I would say some of that is regards, especially with regards to death, worthy, unworthiness, a whole bunch of things. And you are in harmony with the universe. You love yourself. You are aware and mindful. You have responsibility and respect. 
you trust in you, the universe or God, and you demonstrate grace and wisdom. Fearlessness in moving along the path to become your sovereign self is not about being impulsive and ignoring your heart, feelings, or intuition. On the contrary, it is about being aware, being open, loving, and having trust. You are, in essence, confident in what you do, and that goes to a lot of what fearlessness as an expression of love gets to. But it's interesting, there's a continual process in obtaining fearlessness. It's not a matter of declaring you are fearless. It is knowing and feeling the lack of fear within you. That comes from within and is generated through many of the expressions of love, but other things as well. Likewise, using words against another, such as chicken or gutless or spineless or yellow, doesn't demonstrate where you're coming from love. These are words of separation and are judgmental against others. People who use these words to put others down are more often than not demonstrating what they personally fear inside themselves. And I would say that fearlessness as a strength is very dependent upon many of the other expressions of love before it can even partially be declared as who you are being. As with some of the other expressions of love, such as grace, freedom, and wisdom, fearlessness also requires the layering in of other of expressions of love, including authenticity, confidence, harmony, integrity, responsibility, and trust, to name a few. There's more that do come into it. And fearlessness, for most of us, is, as always, I said, a work in progress. Now, it's interesting, I came across yesterday a statement by Derek Rydell, who some of you may know as a spiritual teacher out there on the web. Yes. And he posted some comments about fear, which I liked. And he said, most of us have been conditioned to avoid, deny, repress, or pray away our fears. It's logical enough, after all, who wants to feel their fear, he said. There aren't any bad elements in our life. Everything is here to serve us. Life isn't happening to us, it's happening for us. And fear is a powerful messenger for awakening. Your fear is telling you a lie you believe. It's the belief in the lie that creates the energy of fear. And that lie is pointing you to a truth that is trying to emerge, a truth you need to appreciate through regular practice until it's embodied. If you avoid, push away, or repress the fear, you miss the message it brings, and it's always an important message, a needed message, and it will repeat until you pay attention to it. So <laughs> don't be afraid of your fear, and don't just feel the fear and do it anyway. Turn away from fear, but embrace it, and receive its wisdom, and sorry, turn towards the fear, not away. Uh, embrace it and receive <laughs> its wisdom and guidance. Got that backwards. <clears throat> then take the truth it's pointing to and integrate it into your daily practice. It's not your enemy, it's your ally. It's not a foe, it's a friend. And when it knocks on the door, welcome it in, make it a cup of tea, and ask what gift it brings you. And if you do this, it will make you more powerful than you can believe, and it will expand your consciousness, and it will build a level of soul stamina that will make you increasingly fearless and ultimately unstoppable. That's not all he said, but that's the gist of it. So I like that very much. I love it. It has some interesting pieces in it. Now we'll be adding a whole lot of different pieces to fearlessness and fear. But with that, that's the end of the introduction. Who, Karen or Ron, would like to go first on commenting? (laughs) 
Karen, I invite you to go first. All righty. Well, a number of things resonated with me. I loved your introduction, Martin. And I, too, have uh, listened on many occasions to Derek and always found a lot of what he's saying to really sort of touch me. And it's interesting because we've often spoke on this our, our show about we're not t- talking about anything new. Everyone is talking about it. We're just exploring it in our conversation. And in preparation for our show today, I, too, did some some looking up on the web, and I actually came across an article on the path of fearlessness, Zen habits, and it very much speaks to what your introduction spoke to, Martin, talking about things like how fear stops us from building healthy and productive habits and causing us to stagnate and procrastinate, keeps us from finding work that is meaningful or doing that work once we've found it. It also uh, keeps us from finding friends or connecting with people on a much deeper level. And this article actually talked a little bit about underlying all of those fears. What were the key issues? And I think we've often talked about these, and you mentioned them, Martin, in your introduction, and that is the fear of failure or being unprepared, fear of uncertainty, or that one that we always come up with, and that is fear of being inadequate or being rejected. So elements that we've talked about in many of our other expressions of love in our program And it went on to talk a little bit about the three keys to developing fearlessness. And again, so such consistency, facing fear mindfully, seeing your underlying goodness, you know, sitting in meditation and taking those moments to just be with your fear and look into it, move into it, and then embracing the the joy of groundlessness. And it's interesting because I I think that, and I often go back to stories of, of young children When you look at a young child, they wake up every morning with wonder in their eyes. They get up out of bed. They have no fears, no past experiences to say, oh, Monday's going to be ugly or I don't like Thursdays. They have no concept of that. So every opportunity, every day that presents itself, they are exploring. And I love the way you phrased it, Mark, when you said to embrace that fear and say, hey, come on in, have a cup of tea with me. Let's see what you got for me today. I'm up for it. And I think when we look at little children, that's exactly what they do. I mean, the wonder on their faces when they see snow. As an adult, we look at snow and think, oh, goodness, going to have to shovel later. (laughs) You know, it has a different connotation, but children look at it with wonder. And if we could embrace our fears with that kind of wonder, I just wonder, (laughs) that's a pun on pun, how we could create what we really want in existence. Not to say, as you said as well, that if fear is real, I mean, it doesn't mean that you just throw caution to the wind. You have to be mindful, but maybe it's those false expectations that we're letting play with our minds and play with what we do with our lives. Mm -hmm. Very good. Now, to my way of thinking and to add to what has already been shared, which, by the way, both of you, it was absolutely wonderful and right on the mark. I recently coined a little phrase on my webpage that said, on being fearless, how fearful you are will always be directly proportional to the judgments you hold. I like that. And when you think about it, when you think about it, the more you judge, the more you will have reason to fear. It's just as simple as that. But the judgments themselves, this is the difficult aspects because all of these judgments have been based on 
false understandings as provided by spirit. Over the last, I think I've mentioned this before, over the last 50 to 60 years, we have had a tremendous amount of new spiritual understandings that have replaced over 2,000 years, for instance, of spiritual understandings that have not proven to be 100% correct. And what book that can actually explain or express this very, very well would be the book by Donald Walsh on the 10 illusions that we have previously thought were spiritual but are not. Yeah. So here we have been given all of the, throughout all of the, all of this time spiritual teachings that have not been true. And it's from those spiritual teachings, the, the concept of being needy, that, that, that God needs something, or that competition is real, that there is not enough to go around. These are some of the things that we were led to believe are, are true. And so what has happened is when we have not met up with these conditions, we have then subsequently created these judgments and have placed those judgments outside ourselves. Now, this is what is all being held in your subconscious mind. So, and what has been placed outside yourself in your, in your subconscious minds is no longer available to you consciously. Mm-hmm. And so fear has a tendency also to reflect what you fear the most is something that you're not aware of. So fear of the unknown is a huge, is a huge fear that everybody has. And I love also the, the concept of the false expectations appearing real. And there's another twist to this is false evidence appearing real. Yeah. And although the two might seem the same, there's a slight distinction that is a little bit different. The false expectations feeling real is far more difficult to understand. It's far more convoluted. It's under undercurrents are far more difficult to detect. These are judgments that come at you, but seem to be indirectly related to you, whereas false evidence appearing real, these are judgments that come right back at you that you know you are correct, you are the perpetrator of it. So there's just a slight difference with regards to the fears that are generated by the, the false expectations appearing real. But in all cases, those fears are based on lies and not truths that we have believed are true and subsequently are afraid of what the ramifications are if and whenever these judgments come to bear. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. When we look at the past and, as you said, the last 2,000 years, what people thought and what they did and what they put in holy texts and teachings and spiritual teachings and everything else, we are expanding as we move forward. That is our natural way of being, is to keep expanding. Hopefully for most people, not some people expand more than others. Right. But we have a nasty habit of, in the past, and still do, of using our fears to make them real. So mm-hmm. the religious texts say, you shouldn't have money, give up your wealth. There isn't enough to go around. That God is a needy God and demands this and demands that. All of these things are developed out of fears that people accepted as being real. And that's the problem. But now we're beginning to understand that a lot of these are just fears, and they are not real, and nor do they have to be. We've moved, begun to move heavily in the last while towards making those understandings and really shifting who we are and how we think, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people hang on to the old stuff as though 
No, no, you can't. It, you can't move it. It's it's God's word, and it'll always be true. And, uh -huh. Uh -huh. and they refuse to look that God is expanding and learning as God grows as well. And it's good, I believe, that we're finally moving out of that thought in a lot of areas, and not mm -hmm. so rigid in making our fears real and, and entrenching them in everyone. <laughs> oh, that, that, that's a big fear from why from where I'm sitting here, and that is the fear that God somehow is not perfect, that somehow concept of God as an evolving being just doesn't seem to fit with us. If the one person we're supposed to be able to trust can get it wrong, then who are we going to trust? Yeah. You well, know, so, and, and as you've said before, Ron, God is expanding based on all of our experiences and exactly. major individuations right. of God. Right. So God That's is right. far, far ahead of us in that understanding and wisdom. So, well, especially as we co-create, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, Martin, as you were talking about scriptures and things that people hold on to, something popped into my head and it was as a kid, people would say, or my parents would say, if something goes wrong, get right back at it. Kid falls off their bike, get back on that bike. If you get thrown from a horse, get back on that horse. And there's a lot more meaning to that now as I reflect back than there was then. And I think the way I look at it was if you don't, you allow that fear to build up saying every time I'm on that bike, this is what's going to happen. Whereas in fact, if you get back on with a more positive attitude, you can actually create something different. Yes. And luckily most people do or we'd never be on any bikes at all. Exactly. <laughs> but it goes to so many levels. News media, for example, I always use the example of occasionally you hear of an airplane crash with 75,000 flights oh, yes. a day, the odd airplane crash. And yet people take that and go, oh, I'm never going to get on a plane. I'm afraid. Look at how many crash. And I'm going, really? <laughs> it's again, false expectations appearing real. Yeah. We have become a society of such negativity and reporting negativity mm -hmm. and disaster. And sensationalization. Yeah, that people are now, be a certain percentage of people are becoming afraid of every one of them and letting it rule their life on what they're going to do and not do. And mm -hmm. that is no way to live. Well, and also they seem to think that one fear that is being taught to one person that fear is universal, that everybody should be taught the same fear. It's like the story that I've shared before where a child and his father are in the backyard and the child wants to climb this particular tree. And he has no fear. He thinks he can go to the top of those branches and jump from branch to branch to branch. And this is his natural state of evolution at that age. And yet the father who may have had an, a, a run-in with falling from a tree. His fear, he feels he needs to instill in his child and therefore tells the child, oh, no, 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 you can't do that because there's the possibility that you're going to fall. Mm. Therefore, the child is then taught fear in advance of an experience. Yeah. So it's finding that balance, right? It's finding that balance of knowing what is before you and to be mindful of it, be present, mm -hmm. be cautious, but not let your fears run away with you. I'd like to share a personal story actually that just came to mind. It'll uh, resonate, I hope, both with both of you because uh, you guys shared this with me. For our listeners, a couple of years ago, I wanted to go on a vacation and the three of us went on a vacation and we were picking tours. And Martin, you'll laugh at this one, but we started talking about which tours we'd like to go on. And I, for our listeners, I have a real fear of heights. 
but I really wanted to see the rainforest. That was what I wanted to see. I wanted to go down and be in the rainforest and just feel close to Mother Earth. And that was my that was my dream. It was on my bucket list. So the guys were kind enough to let me make that pick. And there we were at the top of these stairs. And I'm looking down at this rainforest. And I said to Martin and Ron, I can't do it. And I'll never forget it. Martin, you turned and looked at me and said, you picked this one, Karen. Do you want Ron in front or behind? me in front or behind because we're going down to the rainforest <laughs> oh, yeah. and off we went and I was so thankful and I don't know if you recall but there was another girl taking a bit of a panic attack mm-hmm. going down the stairs and I just kept focused with you guys guarding my front and my back and down I went and I, I to this day that is a momentous moment for me because had I not done it I would have forever thought what if I could have yeah mm-hmm. and, in the end, that, and in the end you enjoyed the experience I loved it. I loved it. I would have felt so – I would have felt like I'd really missed out on something had I not taken uh-huh. that plunge. And again, one of the things that I often talk about, we all talk about, is surrounding yourself with like-minded people. And the thing there was I trusted the two of you implicitly. So I knew you had my back, had my front, and I was going to be fine. Mm-hmm. If I panicked, if I fell, I knew both of you were there. And yeah. none of those things, none of those false expectations happened. Yeah. I just mm-hmm. got to enjoy it. Ron, mm-hmm. should we tell her now that we were debating which one should push her first? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, just I joking, remember Karen. that. I remember that. And <laughs> I don't have a, a fear of height, but the pathway down was on these steps that because we were in a rainforest, I remember them being rather slippery. They were. And it was covered in moss, and some of these steps were not exactly level. Some of right. them were slightly angled, and and I even remember the the guardrail being very rickety at times. You could you yes. could shake it, you could mm-hmm. shake it. Mm-hmm. So the means to getting down there was also very precarious. Yeah. So I, even though I didn't have a fear of heights, I could definitely feel I had to be very cautious and go very slowly, and which the guide admonished everybody please don't take this you don't go furiously down these stairs take your time you know Mm -hmm. i remember him saying that well you know it's interesting because as i was being so fearful of doing it I had no idea what was going through your mind, Ron, or your mind, Martin. But um, <laughs> the whole idea that you also felt a little bit of trepidation at no point in time was that ever shared with me. No. Which was so awesome. It was like, we're not going to feed into our fears. We can exactly. work through it. We're not going to feed into it. And I think that one of the things about becoming more fearless and showing or demonstrating fearlessness is really about moving forward, but also surrounding yourself with those people that you trust. And I think that's key as well. It doesn't mean it comes from outside of you, but it helps you to create that greater strength within you. And just because you don't have those people, like if Karen had gone down those stairs with someone who was ornery and thought that it it might be fun to invoke even more fear in her and say, oh, my God, Karen, don't you think these stairs are just crazy? Um, (laughs) Yeah. it's still it's it just makes it a little bit more difficult, but not entirely impossible to look at that fear and overcome it. Exactly. And that's a good example, Ron, because I wonder if had that happened, I wonder the strength that would have been invoked within me that said, you don't get to dictate that to me. Because remember, everything comes from within. So yeah. it, it really could have had the, the same effect. I just don't know. Yeah. And it could also triggered it and you would have frozen and then gone back up and never have attempted it. Exactly. 
Well, we did cover off courage, which that's courage coming in, is overcoming that and saying, no, that's not real. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yes, you're right. It could be very easily go the other way and give in to the fear and go, oh, you're right. I'm not going down. The loving thing to do was not to draw additional fear to increase the charge of the false expectations being real, but to allow her to deal with what was immediately in her conscious mind at that time. Yep. Yeah. And not to add to it. Yep. We had empathy for your position. (laughs) We didn't call you chicken, coward, spineless, or yellow, or any of those other things, right? And you also said something very important here, which I want to stress. If you're wanting to create fearlessness and you're wishing to challenge your fear, it will take a degree of courage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're in the process of trying to heal much faster than experience would have you feel, uh, to, to, to heal, and you are calling things to you in order to trigger your judgments and your fears. That in and of itself will take great courage. Because I remember the first time when I began to clear some of the emotional stuff that I was holding, that it wasn't coming fast enough. And so there was the opportunity there for me to say, okay, well, it's not there. So what do I do? I can call it to me. And just the idea of calling it to me took a huge amount of courage because then what am I calling? I don't know what it is I'm calling. Will I have the strength to be able to overcome the fear or will it overwhelm me and I'll suffer the consequences of the fear winning out again? Right. And I think when you think about these kinds of circumstances and using this example, yes, I I moved myself to a situation where I felt safe. But as I was going through it, talking about bringing in courage, but also with that being present, which I think is really important. And I recall as I started to go down the stairs, I did my breathing meditation as I was going down, shaking all the way. But it's that balance of what am I afraid of? Yes, I'm afraid of falling. I'm afraid of the heights. But I looked and said, yes, there's stairs here. They're slippery. But I know that so I can overcome that. Yes, the railing is a little bit rickety, but it's there. I can hold on to it. What's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to slip, and I know to hold on, as opposed to, as you said, Ron, running down recklessly, right, banging your head. It is that fine balance of saying where is it you want to go and what makes sense. Mm -hmm. The, The time and the process for overcoming the fear itself will have its own timing, its own divine timing. You can't rush it, which would be running down those stairs in an effort of overcoming the fear, could be considered careless and very risky because then once if you do fall, you will then reinforce that fear. Mm-hmm. There will be a whole, another new layer to the fear that you will have to recover from by being res- reckless. When you're getting triggered, you must take it, as you were saying, Karen, you were breathing into it and just be with the fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Good point. Yeah, and in some cases, it's almost like, I know it sounds kind of awkward, it sounds a little bit weird, but almost trusting in it. Yes, yeah, in, in the process. Yeah. yeah, in moving towards it, and not to continue with our vacation, but these guys took me down these rapids too. <laughs> I remember being in this raft and everything was going lovely and we had to sign off, you know, papers saying, you know, if you fell, it wasn't their fault and they had us in helmets and Ron was taking all these pictures and Martin was just kind of flopping around having a grand old time and I'm petrified. <laughs> and I remember getting separated from the group and being on this water ledge and I looked down and I was literally toppled on the edge and one of the guides spotted me and he hollered for someone to help me and they couldn't get to me quick enough and I remember looking down thinking hmm 
that's going to hurt. <laughs> it's not going to kill me, but it's going to hurt. Huh. What do I do again? And I'm not even sure what created it in me, but I just breathed in very gently because he told me not to breathe because <laughs> he didn't want any, any ruckus in the water. And sure enough, I was pulled away. I did not fall. And again, you continue going down in the laughter. And I'm not sure it's not about being reckless, but it's a little bit about moving with it. There was nothing. The worst that was going to happen was a couple scrapes. Mm-hmm. Don't feed into it's going to be worse than it could potentially be because it's not. Yep. Now, I, I don't know if this has any relation, but I have another little story. When I was younger, I had a fear of spiders. I really didn't like them at all. I got a job that was doing some plant studies up north in a peat bog. And the guy said, I hope you don't have a fear of spiders, because I took the job. And <laughs> I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, there, there'll be hundreds of them all over you. Yikes. And I went, oh, okay. So I didn't want to give up the job, so I went. And he was lying. There was thousands. <laughs> I literally, you know, you're those hip waders that go all the way up. And it was only the top part of your body, shoulder showing. I was literally taking my plastic gloves and taking them off in handfuls as I rubbed down the suit of these spiders. You know, after a while, he said, oh, just brush them off. And after a while, I got totally used to it. And none of them caused me any harm. And it was just a matter of being observant and brushing them off before you got too covered. It was fine. And it was weird. I've not had a fear of at least small spiders since then. I still don't like the thought of a tarantula or anything. <laughs> but the small spiders like that, all the colors and different types and by the thousand, I don't know what. It just sort of, okay. And then I realized in living that they weren't harmful. I had nothing to fear. And they were just fine. They were just being what they were being. And I was fine from that point on. But it's interesting that it took that to make me realize. I don't think one at a time would ever have done it. <laughs> I often, I, a good, that's a great story, Martin. I think that I believe that things are put in front of us. Situations are placed before us that we sometimes think are not so good and we judge them right. as being bad. But in fact, they are put in front of us to allow us that opportunity to dig deeper within ourselves mm-hmm. and see what we can move through and show those, the expressions of courage and just reaching out and saying, okay, I can do this. I believe that that's put before us for a reason. I don't think it's by coincidence. No, I agree. I was far less fearful of them than I thought I'd be. It was imagination that was making me fearful of them. And when they were all there, I sort of looked and went, and he was just brushing them off. And I just said, no, okay, fine, and just brushed them off. It sort of went of its own accord just like that. It was like, okay, where did all that come from and why was it there? (laughs) (laughs) Now, how do you address the fears? In which way? Today, when people actually have the courage to look at themselves, they'll recognize they're infested with fear. Right. Mm-hmm. Fears yep. about just about everything, from the most innocuous fears to the ones that are life-threatening. Threatening, right. yeah. Yep. Okay. I think one of the first things, Ron, is you have to acknowledge them. I think that, uh, for, for me, I believe that when I run from my fears or ignore them, like, that doesn't exist and pretend they invariably come back because I'm not dealing with them. So I guess my first step would be to acknowledge them and then to kind of sit with them and say, what is it that I'm really fearful of? What is making everything just kind of shake and say, oh, what is that? What is the worst that can happen? And kind of work through it that way. I think it starts off with acknowledgement, but then I think it goes to being with it, being present with it and kind of sitting with it and trying to figure out what 
the root cause of that fear is. Because oftentimes, the root cause is not what we think. It's something a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. And if we can get to that point, and I think for me, the, the way that I get to that point is to sit with it and to, the only way I can put it is just to be with it and let the, all of that anxiousness, that anxiety, all those thoughts, let them, let them flow. Let them just keep, don't try to shut them off. Just let them flow. And see what comes I find to mind. That, yeah. See what, see what you're feeling. That, yeah. Is that what you're asking, Ron? Yes. In essence, from my understanding, it's almost like that is the main approach. And that to be is the first step being that you have to acknowledge that whatever the fear is, that you're willing to look at it and you're willing to heal from it. Without that, right. you will never get anywhere. There's, there's right. the good point. You have to want to heal. You're right. You have to want to heal. Yeah. Now, that next step is what is the process for healing? Right. And from my understanding, definitely the first process, which is what you were covering, Karen, which is meditation, this is definitely a method and a very useful method for dealing with it. There is a program out there, and I encourage our listeners to to watch this program. It's called the Dharma Brothers, where mm. they introduced a form of meditation called Vipassana meditation to the inmates. And these were the most damaged inmates ever. These ones, these these people were all on death row for committing murder. The idea, of course, being that this form of meditation was going to assist them in uncovering who they truly were underneath all of it all. Now, this Vipassana form of meditation was a 10-day course in which you meditated completely for, for those entire 10 days. You sat in stillness. There was no engagement of vocalization whatsoever, and you were in complete silence. And the first three to four days was simply being able to still the mind enough to then be able to go in and research what the true cause was. Up until those first three to four days, the, the mind would completely wander all over the place, which I'm, I'm certain that most people who have meditated have experienced. Oh, yeah. Uh, that it's, you know, it's virtually impossible to keep the mind completely blank, especially when you're first beginning any kind of form of meditation. Your mind will wander and then you'll feel guilty. Oh my God, here, you know, I'm thinking about this. And then you have to bring yourself back to the stillness and watching it and being attentive to your breathing. Right. Now, many people will not have 10 days to devote to simply sitting in one location and meditating, which is the more you do this kind of meditation, the more you will be able to come to the core kernels of some of your, your baser judgments and be able to change them at that point, because you have to be aware of what the judgment is in order to evolve it. Yep. Now, there is another form which I have been experiencing only because I have a tendency to be a little bit more impatient, and also because I am what is called a feeling spirit. I'm an emotional-based spirit. And this is releasing the charged emotion that is behind the judgment itself. So when you're being triggered and your immediate reaction is all of these, the, the, the rage of emotion that wants to express itself, rather than suppress it, I will release it through verbalization. When I actually do this type of practice, the quickness or the speed at which I actually see the judgment behind it has increased tenfold. Mm -hmm. I have 
ability once I've released that charge, then and only then, and you have to release it as much as possible. Sometimes you can start it, but you'll know when you have satisfied what the emotions are screaming to be released about. Because if you only do a partial one, you're still uh, left with a feeling that it's had, the charge is, hasn't been completely released. So again, trusting your feelings here will assist you in the releasing aspect of what you need to release. Yes. But once the emotional charge has been released, then it becomes clear what the judgment is. Now, this is my quicker way of getting to the judgment, but it by no means is the only way. As what Karen was saying, she has her, her way of getting to that through her consistently practicing meditation. It's interesting, though. I'll go, sorry, Ron, I'll go back to something Karen said, and I wrote it down when she said it. You said okay. you looked at what's the worst that can happen. Oh. And when I find that I'm looking at something that, is causing fear, and it's usually maybe something that, you know, work, they're going to change this or that, and people may not have jobs, or you're going to be changed from where you are to elsewhere. Right. Sometimes my mind wants to go to what's the worst that can happen. But I look at that and go, but is that likely? Uh-huh. And then I look at it again and go, no, this is probably what they're planning, why they're planning it, and this is what is probably going to happen. And then I begin working with that to see how I can move myself into accepting the change and seeing what I can do to make myself more valuable to that change, if I can put it that way. Right. I tend to go to think about what the worst can happen, but then I quite often discard it as being unrealistic and false expectations appearing real. And I move back to what most is likely going to happen. So, I do it that way. I don't know if that exactly. makes sense. Yeah. It does. That's, I think that's a great observation because it takes us right back to the top of the show when we were talking about embracing fear with wonder and yeah. that uncertainty and what are the amazing things that could come out of this. And I think your example there, Martin, was a, a good observation of how you do that. I think that's fantastic. I mean, I, I think if people wallow in the fear of what's the worst case scenario, right. you're not likely recognizing because you're still looking at the false end of it. But I also want to draw attention to the fact that what Martin was experiencing was absolutely necessary for him in his stage. And I disagree, Martin. I think it was still valuable in that you looked at that because judgments can be so multi-layered. <laughs> and then to deny any aspect of a judgment is not to embrace the complete healing of that judgment. And that's why I said so, I yeah. usually look at the worst and then say, that doesn't even make sense and move back. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, you have to look at it. Yeah. You yeah. can't deny it. No. You and just, you just move through that emotion. Yeah. Yep, no, exactly. absolutely. Yep. That's a step that you cannot be simply because you might not find value in a particular idea that you should not explore it. It's, right. it's going to come up for exploration. And right. how you ended up treating it is exactly correct. You saw that they, it was an illusion, that it wasn't real. And so you acknowledged it. You didn't, de you didn't deny it as being useless. Right. You acknowledged it and then said, but it's not true. But the key, I think, and I'm learning this better as we move along, is that there was recent changes in the company. And I embraced the changes because I thought, okay, this is where they want to go. I can't change that. Mm -hmm. So how mm -hmm. do I make myself useful in that? And it's interesting, when I look back at people who get further ahead, they dive into it full-heartedly and say, I can help with this, I can help with that, I can help with that, and they love them, 
and they go much further ahead and they're much better at it. But well, so many people stand back. Oh, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go. There. I, I just, <laughs> this is one of the old spiritual ideas where we always considered that oneness was the sameness and that everything yeah. was going to be the same. Mm. When in, in fact, everything seeks to evolve everything. Yeah. And so we actually should be comfortable with change. And yet most of us are, are still very, very uncomfortable with change. Yeah. And it holds, it holds people back from being what they of could course. be because they fight it. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But that is based on an old spiritual idea that we are attempting to replace today with one that says, no, everything is change. Yeah. So we need to feel comfortable with this. Yeah. And the root cause of that in a lot of ways in our civilization here actually is the understanding that God is fixed and immutable. Yes, yes. And because we think, I've been taught so often that God is fixed and immutable, that change is bad because God doesn't change. And well, yet that's also, so false. And it's also a reflection of how unique each individual is that because of our uniqueness, this is where, as I've stated before at other programs, it is this uniqueness which will ultimately result in the unification and the oneness. It is because then you're honoring what is that in actuality a truth and that each and every individual is unique and no one will have the same path back to God as the other. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Our experiences and who we are are all different. Mm -hmm. And so we need to that. accept and we need to accept that as a truth. Yeah. But that could be also scary because then that means th that you might not find your answer in anyone else out there. Yep, exactly. That you yourself then will have to be responsible for finding your own answer. And that in and of itself can create a tremendous. And I'll put this out there and I'll ask both of you. I find it interesting that when I started along the spiritual path, I was very keen and heavily into listening to what a lot of other spiritual people had to say in their yes, courses yes. and studies. Yep. But you get to a point where you realize that they can't change me. They can add bits and pieces and thoughts and, and whatnot, but it gets to the point where you no longer need to be pulled along by a teacher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you mm -hmm. grow to the point where you become your own teacher. That's right. And, Absolutely. And that is becoming a master. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't like that word, but that's okay. I know what you mean. I, I know. I, I read your article <laughs> and that's exactly what I understand what you're saying yeah. as opposed to the sovereign self. But right. here, this is where most spiritual teachers need to actually seek the point at which they let go of their students. Yeah. Yes. That is when they know that they have been successful. If a yes. if you see a teacher and their followers have been with them for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, mm. how successful were they at creating a self-sovereign individual? You exactly. Know, not very so far. And, and that's true in, in everything. It's true in our relationships. It's true in business. I mean, if you look at a successful leader, a successful leader is one who allows those that they're teaching to surpass them. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Right. Or to not, go on, yeah. That's not to say that you're going to disrespect your teacher. No. It simply means that you will acknowledge that you are now a valuable part and you will be adding to the whole, not with duplicating what has been gone on in the, in the past with other people, but by creating your own individual path itself. That is what adds to the whole. Yep. And I think that's key, Ron. I think when we talk about fearlessness, 
what often comes to mind, and we've always I always talked about all of the expressions of love being interconnected, but trust and trusting in yourself Ooh. is key too, right? We talked at the top of the show about this feeling of uncertainty and inadequacy, and it's moving through those emotions that say, okay, I, I trust in myself enough that I can now branch out and do what's right for me, yeah. not what everyone else is telling me to do. And that comes exactly. with experience. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's a, it's the natural progression, as you said before. I think the last program on that time and our thought and our processes are linear, and they stack upon each other, and you mm-hmm. use them hopefully to your benefit. Mm-hmm. And as you grow with those, it gets to the point where you go, "No, okay, I can do this by myself. I now understand how this is going to work within me." Yes. But yes, before that, to... I'm not sure. <laughs> right. you, have to, you have to learn how to walk before you can run and exactly. run before you can fly. Exactly. It is, and this is time and experience, which is what is necessary for a deeply understood acknowledgement or knowing to have to occur. You need the time. That's sometimes you will, you'll pick up a book, for instance, and you'll read it and, oh, well, this makes sense, but 80% of it is just all gobbledygook and it loses you completely. Mm. And yet I find that if in having read it and you have now embedded the idea, although you don't understand it, in your conscious awareness, given time and time alone and experience, if you go back to that book and reread it, your depth of knowing and understanding will have increased, oh, even, yeah. without, even without having to, done anything towards consciously <clears throat> Um, going back and, and rereading it and working with it. If you don't go back and, and do that, just the experience of time itself mm-hmm. will add to your ability to know. Yep. And yeah, that really resonates with me. I've, I've felt that many times when I've gone back and even read a book, watched a movie, hit a similar circumstance. That evolution piece has shown itself so many times. You yes, and that's understand why. it differently because you have a different perspective on things. Yeah, different lens. Yeah, yeah for and, sure. And, and that's why one of the spiritual teachings that I've heard out there by spiritual masters, quote unquote, for Martin Sink here, um, is that time is all simultaneous. Right. And even though that is, there's an underlying implication, which means that if you don't get it, somehow you're not right, that you're wrong. Mm. And that is not true understanding of what the purpose of time is. No. And, and I'll explain very briefly <clears throat> my thought around master. Master means you're in charge and your authority on thing, the things, and yet we are still growing. So there is no such thing as a true master in all in all, because everyone is growing, and anyone who thinks they're a master and can stop growing are fooling themselves, and they're, no, they're not a master. But since we are all one with everything that is, there's only one true master, and that's everything. I put it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, I think also the term master in the old way of thinking meant spirit, the spiritual master was one who had answers for everybody. Right. And I think that that is incorrect. Once you, as I said earlier, once you explore your uniqueness, some answers, yes, could mm-hmm. very well be applied to you. But right. then what do you do with the ones that don't? If you're assuming that a spiritual master has answers for everybody, mm-hmm. then this is where that concept is in error. And that's where I think, Martin, you're also trying to draw attention to the fact that how we have used the term spiritual master to mean master over everyone else right. is incorrect. Self-sovereignty is better. far more accurate in that you have mastery over only yourself. Exactly. I was just going to say that masters should really just be called teachers. 
there's nothing more than a teacher there as opposed to being a master of whatever. And I would agree. I, I think that we've talked about this a lot in this show and past shows, and that is our language and how our language keeps us kind of a little bit stagnant because we pick words or use words that are known to us, not really what we are meaning in its wholeness. So master is one of those. Yeah, we don't have words for the full gamut of the emotions that we experience. Exactly. Our words, our words are more geared towards spiritual thought rather than than they are to our divine will and its ability to emote and our feelings. There's no language other than the closest one that I can think of, which would be music. It's funny you say that because I'm writing a second book. One of the sections, well, multiple sections, are on love and explaining love. And how we look at it and how we have so misinterpreted the word that it, it was very difficult. It took many months to, in my mind, explain love a little more clearly, not yeah. perfectly, but a little more clearly. Because whenever I tried to look it up, it was like, oh, my God, it's so narrow. Yeah. <laughs> that it was, well, it was hard to move it out in language. That's a great statement, Martin, because if we think about the word love, then immediately we go to or potentially could go to, well, I love my house. Mm. I love my car. Oh, do you love your car like you love your child? Do you love your car like you love your partner? And so there's so many connotations to it, right? Is that in love? Is that lust? Mm. What does that word actually mean? And when I think in terms of love, and I know we've talked about this as well before, and Ron, you've brought it up, this whole concept of unconditional love and how people struggle. Like we put this negative in front of a positive and we try to make sense of it. When I think about the term love and unity – I think about how are we caring? How are we coming from our heart center? And how are we treating other people? That is love. How you treat yourself, what you do to yourself, what you eat, what you do, how you spend your time, that's showing self-love. It's really all encompassing from that perspective or lack thereof. Yeah. So as opposed to, well, I like them. I love them. What's that all about? Or I hate them. Or I dislike them. Yeah, it's interesting because, as I said in the introduction, I think love is in many ways the opposite of fear on many fronts. Fear in many ways is not moving to love and not moving to trust, not moving to being fully aware. And that's what we talked about when we talk about getting rid of our fears. Is you have to look at them. You can't just keep shoving them away, as we keep saying. You have to look at them. You have to become aware of them. You have to feel them. You have to respect them. And, you have to own and, them. And you have to own them and you have to have trust that you can yeah. get through this. And as Ron says, you have to want to heal. <laughs> Without the desire to want to heal, then you don't have the desire to see yourself as being causal here. With right. everything yeah. that's in your life, you are causal. But when you're in the throes of, a, of an emotional response, mm. your firm belief, which is your judgment that you've mm. decided you're going to believe in the judgment, is that you're being victimized here. And without the desire to want to heal, being present, and this is why in order to heal, you have to be ready for it. Yeah. If you're not ready to heal yourself, then you will continue down the road of judgment and seeing those external events come back at you over and over and over again until you've had enough of it. It's almost like that you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. <laughs> you have to come to a point where you've had enough and that yep. yes now is the time but until you reach that there is no possible way that healing on that level can occur for you you're absolutely correct i mean we have, we've often heard the terminology of you know oh my parents were like that or my grandparents were like that therefore i am yes. and i'll never change i believe that that dna is within us 
but it's up to us if we choose to own it, acknowledge it, and work through it. And those ideas could be so powerful because yeah. you can go through an entire life feeling that there is no way around this, and yet there is. There is always a way out, always, 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 but it does take the courage in order to acknowledge that you are being causal here and that you are not a victim. All fear is internal. Uh And only you can work through it. Mm -hmm. If I go back to the example of going into the rainforest, Martin, you could have stopped and screamed and looked at me in the eye and said, you're going to do this. It had to be me that wanted to do it. Yeah. Right? And didn't we say that to you at the time? Yeah. These guys are brilliant. I got to tell you, listeners, one of the most amazing things in my life is having these two gentlemen being a part of it. I learned so much from them day after day, and it's pretty cool. So I hope you're enjoying listening to them as much as I do. Thank you. I can't say the same thing because you're not two gentlemen. Um, (laughs) There's one gentleman, and then there's a fine lady. So there you go. One more thing about fearlessness, and there is a term out there that everybody has been praying for, and that is full consciousness, that in order to become fully conscious beings, and this is only step one of the of the spiritual journey, folks, once you become fully conscious beings, then there's the joy of creating what's next. But until we become fully conscious beings, we're still reacting to our fears. Yep. And so until we actually release all of the judgments, which are fear-based, until we get that, we are conditional beings and only semi-conscious. Yeah, And acknowledging that is key too, because I know that for myself, oftentimes I've slipped into this, oh, one step forward, three steps back. <gasps> Why am I not getting there? That's not loving myself first and foremost, because I'm not allowing the natural evolution of things. And I have to be okay with that. And that's a huge challenge. I I think for myself, I don't know if it happens to others. You'll always find yourself slipping. And in fact, on the path of medicine, that was one of the things that our spiritual elder, Grandmother Parisha, would always insist upon is when you lose focus and when you're not diligent in your practices, then you allow yourself to slip up. And it was something that first, I felt guilty because it was like, well, I'm not strong enough. (laughs) And then I began to realize, no, falling back is a natural thing and not to feel wrongly judgmental against yourself for doing so. Knowledge that you might have slipped, but you don't create a new judgment that says, oh, you'll never get there. You'll never do it. Exactly. Exactly. That's the worst thing you can do because that's then people make that real. And then you add another layer of the original judgment and it just becomes more complicated. That's a hard one to overcome, though, for a lot of people. All of our fears, we have such a huge amount in our unconscious minds. Mm -hmm. And the deeper you go into the unconscious minds, the more convoluted and complex the judgments become. Because as you've just seen, sometimes keep adding these additional layers over the original judgment. Actually, the, the, the emotions that are resulting from it are also extremely convoluted and make absolutely no sense. It looks like you're going crazy when you're emoting and stuff because sometimes the emotions that are screaming don't seem to have any bearance on what the judgment was originally. And that is because of the complexities of our continuing to deny has created. But when you do emote, it takes one of those layers away so you can look at the next one. Yes, exactly, Martin. And, and that works well. Yes, it does. But here again, some people might not feel comfortable with the process of expressing emotions as valuable as many of us are beginning to see it and will end up only sitting with meditation. But as I said, sometimes it takes a lot longer to meditate 
in order to get to it because you're having to circumvent or go around some of the emotional experiences. Mm -hmm. But at least with the meditation, especially with Vipassana meditation, when the emotions come up, you have attained a large degree of being able to step outside yourself, the observer, that observe these emotions and allow them rather than reject them. So even there, you're doing so. But because you're not releasing the vibration of the the charged emotion through physical expression, which could be movement and most likely vocalizing, which is a quick way of releasing the emotional charge in order to get to the idea or the judgment in the first place. You mentioned too, Ron, about music. And you were talking about in terms of love and music and prompted me to think about some music that Martin had shared with me. And I think it came from Jared Hewitt and it was the healing, the inner child. Is that the right one, Martin? Yeah. And it's just music. And I, I too, uh, along with you, Ron, I'm very in tune to music. I remember turning on this music, not knowing what to expect. I was kind of blown away because as this music started, it was lovely. And yet I could feel all of these emotions that I had no idea what these emotions were. And I tried to hold them back. And I wasn't even sure what I was holding back except that I was feeling emotional. And I thought, nope, you're meant to go through this. Just go with it. And I remember sitting in my living room at the time listening to this music and the tears just started to flow. And I started to sob and I had no idea what was going on. All of a sudden, all of these memories and experiences started showing themselves. And I didn't even know how or why this was all happening. And I remember calling Martin afterwards saying, oh, my goodness, I'm exhausted. And yet I'm elated because as I was going through that process of allowing the tears to come through, I also allowed the emotions to come to the forefront and I saw them. And then I acknowledged, oh, that's what that brought up. What I like about music is that it can go much deeper than thinking can, where some of these emotions were created with thought, and these we judge and hold in our subconscious minds. There are fears, however, that are have been created even before thought was even ma- made available, and these are completely unconscious. Right. And this exactly. is the degree to which the depth of music can trigger, because there's no words to music. It is just sound vibration and sound yeah. frequency that can trigger even the deepest judgments that originated without even thought being there. Yeah. Now, before we go any further, I'm sorry to say we're down to the end of the program. Oh, don't tell us that. We're literally at the end of the program. (laughs) All I want to say is I hope everyone out there is finding these programs on the expressions of love useful, and you're getting some kernels of things in there that you can use. Beyond that, I hope you have an absolutely fabulous week. Here's hoping you have a fearless week ahead of you, folks. Yeah. Enjoy your week. Give yourself lots of love and share the love with others. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to The Sovereign Self. We will be back with another show that will celebrate the beauty and perseverance of you and your sovereign self. If you would like more information or to send questions to Martin, Karen or Ron, please go to their Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash sovereign self. See you next week.